This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. After a rainy one day, summer is back. Oh, nice. It's been summer here every day, just putting it out there. No, you had a storm. <laughs> That was so long ago. <laughs> and who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Christine Finnegan. Uh, I was reading an article about Christine on RNZ the other day. The article is called Testing the Waters. Christine is a dairy farmer from the Manawatu, and I absolutely Love this article, so I tracked her down to see if she would say yes to an interview. Welcome, Christine. It is a joy to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Welcome, Christine. Where are you coming from? Um, I'm coming from the Manawatu, coastal Manawatu, uh, a 85 hectare dairy farm, uh, milking once a day. Have you been there long? Uh, I grew up here, but we lived in the Waikato and Thames Valley and the Hawke's Bay. And, yeah, so, and we came back about 20 years ago. So, yeah. That sounds like you're a local. Yes, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) When you come come back, everyone thinks you're a local, but everything's changed, so you actually aren't a local anymore. (laughs) So we're asking people about how their bubble life was, and of course now we're having to talk about which bits of bubble life. How was your first bubble life? How was your bubble life last year? Um, it was a bit strange to start with, actually, but uh, I, we actually enjoyed it. Um, I think we had a strong focus on family, and our job for us, fortunately, doesn't go away. So the animals still need looking after, and they need milking every day. So it was an opportunity to do things on farm as a family, but, and, what else? <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was, it was busy enough, actually, but it was, it was good in that you weren't distracted by the rest of life that can get really <laughs> busy. So we were more focused on what we had to do and uh, just stay home, <laughs> basically. Were you allowed to have people on the farm, contractors and things? Because normally there's there's quite a bit of coming uh, and going, isn't there? Yes, so like the tanker rolls in every day, but we never see them. Right. So that's contactless. Um, 
and even if you did see them, you know, like you just sort of keep your distance. Um, <laughs> we do get contractors, so but most of it's done by farm uh, by phone, and most of them are familiar with the farm, so still contactless, and you should still get the job done. And for those of us in town, the lockdown last year was the was a glorious sum, summer that went on and on and on. Was was that appreciated on the farm? It, it didn't get as didn't get to drought conditions, did it? No, no, it was um, it was a wonderful season for us weather-wise. Um, we had rain when we needed it, generally, and um, but we're still able to get do things. Um, and we did during lockdown. We did a lot of uh, stream planting, so we were we had an area, a gully, so the kids absolutely loved that because it was a um, it was like a big gully with a big grassy area on the bottom, and the, the, there was a, a, um, a waterway went through the middle, just a little one, about a foot wide. And uh, one afternoon, the kids spent all afternoon jumping this little stream. <laughs> <laughs> rather dirty, but you know, you think of outdoor play and getting dirty and just cre- creating their own fun. It was, uh, uh, and we were just wor- working alongside, just. Um, getting wires up and posts in and uh, pruning back some pine trees that were hanging over where we ne- where we needed to work. So it was a um, great afternoon. That's one that sticks in my mind, actually. I think it was about the streams that you, someone else had a story that is what led Mawira to find you. So tell us about the streams and on on your farm and, and what you're doing. So we've, actually, we've actually got two farms and they're both family farms and t- two sons who are run- one's running each one and the farm at Linton has a patch of remnant bush which we've always thought was very special. The manor two is a little bit devoid of trees um, and the, so we we thought that was pretty special so um, we sort of thought about how we could protect it and um, and include the community. So what we've ended up doing is formed a catchment group, and um, and so it's, it's a community-based thing really, because everybody has just sort of come on board. You know, initially I I sort of asked around and said, oh, is anyone interested in um, looking after these streams? Because we know we know we've got kakahi, so we've got mussels, native mussels, and we. To have kakahi, you've got to have native fish. So, um, and we, so I talked quite a bit with Horizons, who are at regional council, and uh, they're really supportive. And um, so we put the word out anyway. We said, well, what would you guys think about um, forming a catchment group? And it sort of got, you know, a lot of people just don't say much really and you know <laughs> just sort of no about six months later I sort of brought it up again and then um I still wasn't sure what the buy-in was anyway we we decided we'd um get together with that Lancare Lancare Trust who are excellent at supporting um people who want to do something and so we had this meeting we had about 25 people turn up and I was blown away really because um it's not always what people say, it's what they do, isn't it? And uh, so that was wonderful. So from that, um, we also got an ad consultant, a friend who was really interested in supporting us, and we got some funding through um, our land and water. 
in the title of our um, project was called Seeing, Understanding, Believing, a farmer-led project into waterway, um, water, waterway care. And uh, so that linked us up with Niwa. So we had a team of three farmers um, in the catchment, a farm consultant who's very strong in environmental thing, management, and um, two Niwa scientists. And um, they were just amazing. It was such an amazing group to be with because, you know, you go out in the field and Amanda, who was um, the ecologist, she'd be, she'd be looking in the stream and we'd be learning heaps off, off her. And then we'd go out, we'd be in, driving through a paddock and she'd be asking all sorts of questions about the animals, you know. <laughs> What's the difference between a bull and a steer, you know? Why is that one got a long tail or whatever, you know, whatever it is. All these really good questions. So it was, it was a really great experience. And um, it also put a lot of things in perspective as well because uh, Juliet, she was very good on, um, you know, like she has experience of all sorts of water quality issues across cities, lakes, farms, etc. and uh, has worked a lot with a, with a lot of different groups. So... Um, she really helped us understand what was important. So, yeah, the key was to actually know what the issue was in our catchment and then um, work out what management plans, we, what management things we should be doing based on what the issues were, rather than just going straight in and saying, um, every stream should have big trees along it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and or everybody should stop putting on nitrogen fertilizer. And so we measured the water quality and we've only just finished that project and, and so the final report hasn't quite come out but our issues were uh, about overland flow of sediment and a little bit of E. coli. And so while, you know, nitrogen, there was nitrogen in the water, it wasn't um, a problem. So that sort of it put a perspective on it and it gave us quite strong direction as to where we should spend our money. So that was really really good oh, yeah. Yeah. and did you did you come to those questions by doing some of that monitoring and as a community group along with the scientists roam around and, and have a look and you know yeah so we had two big field days um but yes the water quality results were key and even though so we'll continue with those because you know one year only gives you a picture in time because each year is different each year different rainfall drought floods whatever you know so land uses might change so um yeah we'll do it for at least three years and possibly ongoing um so yeah that's generated quite a bit of interest in the community and um we've also set up a with the funding we also um set up a pest control um system so and we're also starting to grow our own plants so uh so the idea is to be self-sufficient really i suppose you know and that's that's what the regional councils want too they want people to take control themselves you know and so we've also got goals and objectives for that for our catchment which will change over time but we you know we'll get started and we'll um yeah it's been really rewarding actually it's brought people together who don't normally see each other because in that catchment there are 
farmers and a lot of lifestyle block people and um, so it's really quite a good diverse group with all sorts of views so it's 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 great let's take the first of your music choices let's have a katie tunstall suddenly i see do you have a story about why this one no i just like it <laughs> but i was thinking suddenly i see well that's about um well for me the title says um know what you've got first and then you know how, what to do with the community in those field days about what those questions are and the the objectives did you have a whole pile of competing objectives or, or was it sort of like 
come down to let's focus on the, the health of the water and that brings along with it all the other things. That's pretty much how it's set, actually. Um, and it, was, it probably started with the kakahi, the mussels. You know, we found them and, and and we thought, well, if we've got them, we want to preserve them. We don't want them to disappear. So what do we need to do to do that? So, um, so that sort of went with the water monitoring and the, um, the ecology. We did some ecology type um, sampling, you know, like monitoring. And that's actually flowing on now. Um, Horizons are doing kākahi monitoring. So they want to know about sites as well. So that they're very reliant on people having noticed them. And they're quite hard to find. <laughs> this looks like stones, <laughs> unless you find, um, you know, empty shells. So that's how we first found them. There was a big flood and all these shells um, that were still, that, you know, bivalves, so they were still attached. And they didn't look like they were old. They looked like they were new. So, uh, or, yeah, so that's how we first found them. And then we went looking for live ones. And I'd take a picture on my phone and send it to the horizon scientist. <laughs> Look what I found. And the, so, um, you said you were you you're growing plants. Is that for the is that riparian plantings or is that for the bush or for for both? Uh, it's mostly for riparian plantings on properties. So there were some areas there are or there still are some areas that are unfenced, and because it's um it's a dissected terrace country that area. That catchment so um fencing streams isn't a straightforward job especially if you run sheep you know it's really 18 dollars a meter um whereas on a cattle farm it's more like five or six dollars a meter um and it's it's not they're not nice straight fences so you can do <laughs> you can imagine dollars doesn't go anywhere it's sort of yeah so you, you can spend a lot of money over a very short distance. So we just chip away at it one step at a time. It's the way to make a difference. And as you go up, as you make the fences longer, do you have to like put an end on it, or do you have to do like a section at a time that you? you... So we've got paddocks. So we would focus on the stream going through that particular paddock, and some of the, like, the catchment actually goes uh, from the ranges down to um, the main highway. That's the bit we were um, studying. So we went from uh, steep sheep and beef country down to um, a dairy farm. So yeah, quite diverse really, over a short, quite a short distance. Um, yeah. And does that, does all this kind of management, does that, does that integrate within the farming system or is it about separating those those sort of different functions um we tried we tried really hard to uh find good management solutions and yes uh yes a lot of things can be integrated into our systems you know it's just about diverting water away from waterways at times or uh having a filter zones which can be grass or trees um but you don't even, you know, like uh, duck ponds or, you know, dams, even they have issues because birds, birds carry um, E. coli. So, 
yeah, it's just knowing what you've got. And septic tanks was another one. You know, septic tanks along the stream. So we we actually um, Niwa gave us a DNA sample of the water. We did a DNA test on the water, and that was in June, and that told us what sort of E. coli we had. Whether it was and well, we had a bit of everything. We had human, um, birds, avian, mammalian, um, and it also told us. So cattle and sheep, and it had a bit of pigs. Pigs. So I don't know where that came from. Um, so you know, like, and then you could look at the numbers and say, well, that's today. This is what we've got. You know, it's only a picture in time again, but it did give us an indication of some things because the human E. coli could only have come from septic tanks because no one would have been swimming in the stream in June. So, you know, <laughs> um, but it wasn't too. It wasn't too bad, but it was there. Uh, it's the same as the cattle. There was a little bit of cattle E. coli as well, so that yeah, that represented um, the parts of the stream that aren't fenced. And we could do something about that. It's really. And what's the what's the vision? And how long? How far away is the vision? And is, is is this a this isn't a one year project, is it? This is sounding like a this uh, is a big task. This is a <laughs> um. The vision is uh, to have a pathway from the sea to the mountains. So those little fish that we have that carry the kakahi sport, uh, spawn, they they go out to sea, they migrate out to sea. So we need to make sure they come back. Um, so they, even though this area has bush, they those little fish are travelling through a whole network of um, streams and rivers to get to sea. So... That's my vision. Um, and it gets a little bit harder as you go further out from the mountains. But, you know, we've got our thinking caps on about that and how we um, how we do that. Because our other farms, more lowland men or two, we're only 8Ks from the coast. And um, so, yeah, it provides some challenges. But, uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just keep thinking about it. And there's things in there are... There are projects around that are addressing that, but um, the answers aren't straightforward yet. So, yeah, keep measuring and monitoring and just, yeah, thinking. We'll get there in the end. Are there physical barriers like culverts and dams to get around? Uh, there's, so there's things like um, a lot of the lowland is tile-drained. So the, these these pipes come into the, then a lot of them are man-made drains, the waterways. So they've been made to drain the land. And we're not talking about swamp, we're just talking about uh, flat, lowland, uh, intensive farming. So, um, so those drains are cleaned so that the tiles continue to flow. Um, so that, that protects the soil. If it gets too wet, it's more easily damaged. So there is issues around uh, those waterways. But some of those are relatively minor. Um, it's probably the main rivers and stream networks that we need to uh, focus on first because they aren't mechanically cleaned or they don't have that drainage network going into them. So that's probably our first focus. Um, yeah, so... The, 
probably what goes into the river then in terms of nutrients or contaminants, pollutants, is becoming important then. But basically our stream at Linden was very healthy. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia koutou kotahuho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now I know for us all it's been a very intense time for a long time now we've had to deal with so many fears and worries and concerns so many things have changed around us so many things from a life that we took for granted have gone and not only that, but things change every day in terms of what we know and what we understand is happening with this virus. And of course, this is something that has gone on throughout our evolutionary history since the universe erupted so spectacularly into being. There's always been change, there's always been uncertainty. And we are, in, in fact, very good at adapting to new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling. I'm talking to you from my beautiful carboyle pearls. We head back out to Orokunui Eco Sanctuary. I very cleverly managed to put the keys to my heart's home somewhere on one of my many adventures. So I'm hoping that other people will be at work so I can open up the visitor centre. And as each day brings us a new puzzle to solve, of course we can look back on our previous ways of doing things and feel very grateful for the knowledge that we do have. For me, drawing so much nourishment and connection from the living world is a great way every day to wake up and remember who I am. Looking out at the beautiful trees, hearing the birds singing, seeing the colours change in the sky, all of these things serve to remind me that we're all part of this beautiful, infinite web of life. We're all contributing to it. We're all part of this co-evolution that's taking place. And of course that our words may serve to tell this story. That our words may serve to remind of the life that's always there. The connection that's always there to that life. That our words may serve to enshrine and celebrate this wild and growing family out there in the forest or even by the side of the road. So many microhabitats 
I hope are thriving. So I really hope that for you today, wherever your travels take you, you're able to have a sense of the life that is abounding there and the knowledge that you are connected and related to that life and the knowledge that before we arrived as a species of course there was so much interplay and communication so much conversation between all the other life before we arrived and if we look and listen very carefully we can see those conversations are still going on a favourite of mine of course is flowering at this time of year our native fuchsia called Tugutugu and the flowers of course change colour once they've been pollinated they go from an inviting green flower all full of nectar for the tuis and bellbirds yeah, anthers and stamens covered with purple pollen and once they've been visited by the tui or the bellbird pollen has been mixed around they go a beautiful rich purpley pink fuchsia and as the fruit grows in the ovary of the flower the flowers drop to the ground and at this time of year it's like we're walking on a, a fuchsia carpet it's beautiful so I really hope for you, you can enjoy all the communication that surrounds you. Thank you for letting mine be part of that. I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Kakite. Talk to you again soon. Thank you. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Christine Finnegan. Christine, the, the farmers cop a lot of grief from the from the urban community who don't have that connection to the land and don't understand you know farming practice and 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 I know you guys get a hard time and I see this amazing job that you're doing and the impact of the work that you're doing what would you tell the the urban community um, to dispel some of the myths um I think I'd say that there's a lot of people doing a lot of little things and so cumulatively that's making a big difference and we care just as much as, as they do you know we live in it every day in the outside so you know you just want it to be right so and sometimes it's just about getting answers so um you know money for research uh, volunteering, like we, we've planted probably 10,000 trees in the last five years and they come two weeks before we start carving, the busiest time of year, <laughs> that's the best time to plant. So we tend to get a bit busy and we've had some great help from groups and maybe we don't ask for help enough but it's also you're busy so it's hard to, it's hard to get organised but um, so our local tramping club have helped us a lot with um, with planting um, and there's, there's I suppose you've just got to think about everything you do you know when you wash the car where does that water go you know like so wash it on the lawn because otherwise it goes down the stormwater quite often not everywhere but some places you know um, those settling ponds on the highway to Wellington those ponds that are on the side of a the road there to catch the heavy metals that come off your car out of your exhaust or your brake linings 
so that's why they have don't swim signs in them so there's a lot everybody has the thing is everybody has an impact so we all got to do this together and you know i'm trying i'm trying my hardest um but there's plenty to do but we just yeah you've got to take one thing off at a time and just keep going yeah no no effort is too small put it that way Listening to you talk and thinking about, you know, in the media at the moment, there's this uh, great big, there's so much around three waters, but actually we've got a fourth water, which is the waterways that run through our rural community and things like perched culverts and other barriers to our native species being able to survive. And um, I think it's time that we lobbied the government for four waters now instead of just the three. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um it's amazing what people do without, in my view, that, you know, um, having a bit of passion about something and um, inspiration and uh, having things that people can see uh, as examples of how you do stuff, I think that has more impact than a rule. Um, rules tend to be too broad brush. You know, uh, stay like with our catchment, ours said as is overland flow so the rules will come in for nitrogen well, you know like that doesn't help our catchment and it may limit some catchments that where it's not a problem i'm not sure but you know some rules are good but uh yeah we need to be we need to work, know what the problems are and be able to address them directly in each area and yeah encourage those people that are passionate because they'll be leaders when I first spoke to you on the phone after reading the article, I said that I admired the changes that you'd made to your farming practice. And you said, actually, we haven't really changed our farming practice. We've always farmed this way. This, And, and I, I guess it's like a conscious decision that you've made to um, to apply environmental principles in your in your farming practice. What, what's been the, what was the reason back when you started that made you conscious of that because it, it just seems that you know we, we look at it as kind of a modern way of farming but this has been your farming practice I think um, it's about not taking things to extremes you know moderation is actually quite good <laughs> I was also brought up on a family that were really keen on plants so we've always grown plants we've always had trees on our farms um, you know uh, We've always tried to operate to best practice. You know, there was always going to be times when you're challenged, but if you can do it right 90% of the time, you know, then then you're so much better off. Um, yeah, adverse events are the ones that are things I'm thinking about, you know, the things that you're completely out of your control. Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, just for me, it's common sense, but I... I Perhaps that's the way I've been brought up, but it um, just makes sense to look after your land, to look after your animals. You know, you look after your budget. <laughs> you know, it's the other thing you'd need to make profit to be able to do environmental work. So the best thing we can do is have uh, the farming community doing well because there's a lot of good environmental work happens when they've got um, making a profit. Yeah, so whereas they tend to stall a bit when there's no money in the bank. But it's more than just money. It's the, there's a lot of um, effort as well, yeah. You're talking about that passion and inspiration and examples. Is there a 
is there a strong ethos of of that sharing and learning from those examples? Do, 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 are people actively uh, looking for them? Uh, the dairy industry is exceptional in terms of um, being cooperative. Because we've had a cooperative model over the last 100 and something years, then um, information has always been shared. And to the point where um, uh, Dairy and Z have, have run environment type, um, what are they? They're, they're actually conferences. And they've tried to put as many people as possible through those conferences. And that's about knowledge is, is king, really. The more you know, the, the better off you are. So it's about awareness. So I, I don't know what the numbers are like now, but it's something like, uh, say if it's 12,000 dairy farmers, there's something like 5,000 people have been through that, those courses. So it's pretty exceptional, you know, for an industry. Um, yeah, it's, it's been brilliant, really. And, and the dairy companies also help us do uh, farm environment plans. So there's a lot of cooperation, a lot of help. Um, yeah to improve knowledge and improve awareness. Christine, let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Phil Collins in the air tonight. Why this one? Uh, <laughs> no reason. <laughs> you asked me to pick a song and I'll pick one. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah. 
Christine, we talked about the first bubble experience. Has the bubble this year been a run of last year's or has it turned out different? Uh, it, was a, it was at a different time of year. It was during carving. So it was very much um, business as usual this year. It was probably uh, less isolating because we tend not to see anyone much during carving anyway. <laughs> it heads down. So, um, yeah, it, didn't, it really was less of an issue this year. But it's perhaps a bit more uncomfortable in terms of what was happening in the country. You know, like I just I feel for people who say if you're stuck in an apartment, you know, and we just feel so lucky that we can actually walk out the door. I just think we're very privileged. So we do we do think of other people and, and I've got family in Auckland who've been in lockdown for a long time. So um yeah, I thought so with them really. Especially with young children. <laughs> And you'd be used to stocking up and not expecting to go to the supermarket every day. Yeah, no, we definitely yeah we yeah we're quite good at um, shopping infrequently. So um, yeah, in fact, I, was, I didn't like going to the supermarket because <laughs> the, the biggest one for us is if we um, if we get COVID, who does our job? So that for us, that's a big deal. Um, so we're pretty careful. We have seen lots of changes in society over the last two years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, I I think the connection with family, you know, like individual families and parents having time with their kids I know it was challenging but it also there's some positives in that and I hope that sticks um, you know people with young children so they wouldn't necessarily have that time even though they might have been challenged um, I just hope that people don't become too fearful of life because it's it's when you get that uh, COVID talked about every day it's it can be quite frightening and um all-encompassing and so i don't listen to any social media i sort of filter what i i i now watch just what i have to so that i know what's going on and because the rest of the commentary i don't need to know it's um yeah it's, um yeah i don't i just don't need to know it it's, it's a lot of it's negative and it's not not good for me, so I don't listen to it. So, um, yes, and I am double vexed. <laughs> so, so I don't, you know, like, I just have to protect my job and my family. I hadn't thought about that. You know, we, we, it's very clear if somebody's working in a, in a business in town or something, but most people have people that can, can do those jobs. But, that must be much harder on a farm. I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection, but now I, now I have. So, thank you. Yes, yeah, tricky, isn't it? Because if I get COVID and my son gets COVID, then those cows are milked every day, and we shift. We have to feed them every day. So we would drag ourselves out of bed or wherever to do that. We'd one of us would have to. Um, it's possible, yeah. I mean, other people could do it. We probably, I don't know. We sort of have talked about it, but it, if we were both seriously ill, I, 
I think the cows will probably be dried off, and that's an issue in itself. Um, yes, it's just like, you know, if you're sick, who looks after your dog? Well, I've got, we've got 500 to look after, so <laughs> they take a bit of management. So um, between us, if one farm, we do have two farms, so we, we, could, um, we could milk on one farm and then go and milk on the other farm if one, of it, one farm was taken out. Um, yeah, and even as simple as uh, milk being picked up, the dairy company have said if we get COVID, they will pick up our milk. So, the, you know, the, there's a whole lot of issues. If they, if they didn't pick up our milk, then we'd have to dispose of the milk on farm, and that's that's quite a big issue too. It's just a time factor. <laughs> you can spend all day doing it. Um, yeah, so there's, there are lots of issues. Just like, actually like any business where someone's self-employed, you know, that are a dairy owner or whatever business that you run, if you're self-employed, then um, it's hard to find someone to step in for you. But you've got that added complexity of having 500 cows to look after. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they let you know if they're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I have some questions. To- I have some questions to end the show. And not very much time, so we shall have to be quick through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, I think uh, my son's coming on board on the farm and, and wanted, you know, they haven't, I never expected them to. So the succession factor, that's, I'm very proud of them, not doing a good job. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? Passion. Passion for what I do. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? No. I'm a doer. (laughs) (laughs) So what motivates you? I was going to say what gets you out of bed in the morning, but I think I know what the answer to that one is. The alarm clock. <laughs> um, what motivates me? I'm really self-motivated. I've always been driven. Um, if I think something, that's why I'm doing this podcast. Because <laughs> I think that, you know, maybe it has a greater good. It's not because I necessarily want to be heard on the radio. <laughs> um, yeah, if I think that, that if the end goal is there, I'll do it. I'll do it. So vision, probably, what motivates me, a vision. So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, I'm involved in quite a few little community things at the moment. So ticking off some of those boxes, you know, um, they're just little things, but they, they all make a community work. So... Yeah, there's just some little things with the school that we want to do. And so I'm a grandparent now. So, um, and there's some things around the local hall. We're just a little community. That's all we've got, a hall and a school. (laughs) But, you know, just um, that connectivity that we need in our communities, and especially with COVID, I think. You know, we can't rely on someone, you know, 100 k's away or anything. It might be just us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hall and a school and a regenerating bush and streams. 
That's it. <laughs> and grandchildren. And grandchildren. That's and a long list. The list is getting longer. And 500 cows. <laughs> <laughs> 500 cows. And the pet sheep with two lambs who keeps getting in my garden. <laughs> Chased her out four times today. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, oh, if you're passionate about it, something, don't be scared to have a go because you'll be surprised who follows you. Well, support you is probably a better way. <laughs> Thank you for that. Moira. Christine, it was such a joy to read that story on RNZ. Uh, thank you for leading them into your life to tell that story. And thank you for sharing your story with us today. Um, I have just found this whole thing of reading that and then hearing from you today so inspirational, and I know others will do. So thank you for the goodness that you bring to our world. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytech. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Cat Stevens. Matthew and Sam. I'm Samuel Mann and so is Bay Dunedin with Moira Karatai and Fakatane. And from outside Linton in Manawatu, we've been joined by Christine Finnegan. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.